Last year, Marine Le Pen, leader of France's far-right National Front, went to court. Despite her legal training, it's a place she's not always been happy to appear, particularly when members of her party are accused of fraud and embezzlement. But when standing trial in October on a charge of inciting racial hatred, she came to court with gusto to expand upon remarks she made comparing the Muslim presence in France to the Nazi army of occupation. She was found not guilty. Electorally, though, it seems to have done her little harm. In the recent elections, the National Front came in first place in six of the country's 13 regions. Now Marine Le Pen wants to be president of France. She says that in her family, politics is like a virus. So what are the symptoms and how many people could catch it? My name's Matthew Sweet and this is the podcast from 1843, the new sister magazine of The Economist, where you can hear our contributors in conversation. And on a line from Nice is the head of our Paris bureau, Sophie Pedder, who has put Marine Le Pen in her sights for the April-May issue of the magazine. Uh, Sophie, you open the article with a primal scene from the life of Marine Le Pen. If she were a superhero or a a supervillain, this would be how she was bitten by a radioactive spider or something like that. But her origin story involves broken glass and explosives. Yes, I mean, when she was eight years old, she was in her family apartment in Paris. They lived in the uh, 15e arrondissement, so in the southern side of Paris. And uh, there was a bomb attack on on the apartment because her father was already a figure of hate. We sometimes forget, I think, that, uh, you know, her father, Jean-Marie Le Pen, has been in politics for so long. He was a deputy um, decades and decades ago that he uh, was the target of violence even at the time. So she was a, a small child in her bedroom. A bomb explodes and rips off the entire side of the apartment you know that was just so formative for her as a a young girl growing up realizing that she was part of a family that the rest of France hated and that there there could be really violent implications of that. You had access to her inner circle uh, for this piece how did you negotiate that particularly as you know her her family has this status are likely to be rather suspicious I would have thought of anybody wanting to get too close to them. It's a question of taking seriously politicians who, you know, sometimes we agree with what they stand for and sometimes we don't. But part of of our sort of integrity comes from the idea that we are going to listen to them and try and make sense of them and try and convey what it is that uh, drives them as, as political figures. And I suppose it's for that reason that they decided to open up and to provide me with fairly good access to an array of both political friends and also those who have known her family for many, many years. I suppose the, the, the way in which her family history has normally been written up has been to emphasise the rather ludicrous aspects of it. Nicholas Sarkozy said that this was a pathetic family reality show. It's become a kind of soap opera, the life of the Le Pen family. Well, it has in a way, hasn't it, because of the figure of her father. I mean, he is larger than life and he thrives on provocation, on uh, saying things that everybody else finds completely outrageous or uh, offensive or worse and has dominated the sort of Le Pen family saga for such a long time that it's difficult for her to escape it. And Marine Le Pen herself is, uh, you know, she's a strong character. She is no walkover and she has not got to the position she has necessarily through family favour. I mean, she actually was at one point in in open rebellion against her father and she stands up to him as I think in a way you sort of have to in that family being a a Le Pen daughter you don't turn into a wallflower but I think that you've also got to put the family drama in in a more political context 
she also wanted to create a party that can govern, and that is the fundamental difference between her and her father. He was there just to sort of provoke, and she wants power. And for that reason, she wants to make the party presentable, respectable, and, and for others to take it seriously. Do you think that she wants to distance herself from his views because she's genuinely repelled by them? She has a genuine distaste for his views or because it's uh, electorally helpful? Well, there is obviously an element of opportunism. I think there's no doubt about it. She can see there's political space for her to really have a good chance at winning some form of power. Now, I'm not necessarily meaning she'll win the French presidential election next year. Uh, She's still an absolute outsider in that respect. But in winning some form of regional power and perhaps down the line, you know, who knows? But at the same time, you know, she has argued with her father for a long time about the line that the party should take. And so I think it's not just opportunism. I think that she does genuinely have uh, differences with him about some of the really offensive um, lines that he's had um, that have been, you know, xenophobic, anti-Semitic over the years. What does she really think about that discourse, though? I mean, you said that uh, people can see what they want to see in the things that she says. I notice in the piece you don't say that she's a racist. I mean, is she a racist or not? What do you think? It's difficult to to say. I would say that her political program is formed much more around suspicion and dislike and rejection of, of sort of Islamification. So, you know, she is not against Islam per se. She's against Islam imposing itself in the public sphere in ways that she finds offensive. I, I think it's hard to call that racist. It's a more complicated picture than sometimes one makes out. I mean, a very small example, the godmother to one of her children, who I met for the for the piece, is um, a black French woman from Martinique. And I think, you know, once you've made uh, somebody like that the godmother to your child, it's quite difficult to some, to accuse somebody of racism. So it's it's much more complex than that. I think there's an element of you know xenophobia in there, and there's an element of anti-Islamification. But to say just outright she's racist, I think is probably simplistic. What part does the memory of the war play in in her ideas and in her persona? Obviously, she got into trouble, didn't she, for for making this comparison um, that I mentioned in the introduction, and she was found not guilty of inciting racial hatred in that. But what part does the war play in her in her rhetoric? when she made those comments she knows very well that there is an echo and that people can hear what they want and that she would never make the sort of outright provocative comments that that her father has made but she can make allusions and sort of references then you know people can hear in that what they want so she's, she's constantly sort of navigating this line between you know the respectable and the and the outrageous or the offensive on the whole she tries to steer clear of the courtroom but at the same time you know, she knows that her base, her very sort of loyal, traditional National Front supporters were raised on that message and she doesn't want to lose them either. She gains, though, from provocation, doesn't she? That was a provocative remark that she made that uh, got her in court. From time to time, she needs to make the sort of comment that will reassure and prop up her base. But at the same time, she's trying to balance periodic provocations with something much more respectable and something that is much cleverer than her father, because what she's doing in a lot of her discourse is appealing to something that's very much shared by uh, French voters. And that's this idea of sort of secular objection to religion imposing itself in public life. Now, 
you can call that a pretext um, for being sort of Islamophobic, or you can say that it's a politically smart way of making what you're saying sound respectable. So this is how she gets away with a lot of the commentary she makes about um, about the role of Islam in, in France. Because it tunes in with ideas that are the very basis of the French Republic. Absolutely. And the basis of, of, you know, France in 1905 enshrined the separation of religion and the state. And that was obviously religion at that point was the Catholic Church. But uh, and so therefore, it's become very much part of French identity and French secular principles is to keep religion out of public life. It just so happens that it becomes also a rather convenient way of appealing to something that everyone shares in France, that, you know, Islam itself becomes the target rather than Catholicism. I noticed, though, that you use that phrase, getting away with it. I mean, what is it that she's getting away with, do you think? You can uh, dress something up as extremely respectable under certain French principles, but at the same time, those who want to hear the message as being xenophobic can do so. So it's this sort of constantly navigating a, a line between, you know, the provocation and the respectable, which enables her both to keep the traditional National Front voters on board, but also to reach way out beyond that, which is what she's done, appealing to people who could come from families that might have once voted communist and who are now voting National Front. So this is why she's able to do that, because these are the voters who just hear the more respectable part of her message. Can we put her into a broader context? I suppose the the revival of various kinds of nationalism is a big story in politics right now. A white nationalist politics, largely, it has to be said. And you could, could, if you wanted to, bring uh, the rise of Donald Trump and even the rise of Scots nationalism into that story. But I feel there must be some way of distinguishing between these various forms of nationalism. Uh, yes, I think there's a sort of the other the other quality that they share these a lot of these political figures is a sense of being an outsider in the political scene, and this is very much something that works with Marine Le Pen in a relatively authentic way. Some people try and manufacture a sense of, of being an outsider in politics when actually they're very much part of the establishment. But it's uh, with with Marine Le Pen, she really did grow up being ostracised because of her family name. You know, she was mocked at schools because of the father was a figure of hate, and she grew up with that sense of injustice and that has kind of created a political figure who manages to tap into not just nationalism but also a sort of outside the political establishment feeling um, which motivates a lot of voters in France and way beyond. Can we look ahead because the National Front are currently being investigated for fraud. Um, is, Is there trouble ahead for Marine Le Pen? There are always cases that have hang over the National Front, and there are the current one in, involves, you know, whether or not members of the European Parliament secretarial staff or administrative staff were in fact members of the party who were being paid by the European Parliament. This is an ongoing um, trial. There are always questions like that that are hanging over them. But in a way, I think what happens with Marine Le Pen often is that. She plays the victim in these situations and manages somehow to turn those sorts of situations to her advantage. Um, You know, the system is out to get us. And it's something that works very well with her electorate who feel, you know, cast aside by the system, people who don't feel represented, who don't feel they have a voice. And rather than it being a, a way in which to undermine her credibility, it often ends up being a way of of appealing to, to a sense of victimization. Do you think there are enough votes in this to get her into power? There's no real prospect of a President Le Pen, is there? 
I think it's extremely unlikely that you'll have a President Le Pen in France next year, but I think that in a way that's not the point, because what you have is a situation where the only certainty about the presidential election next year in France is that Marine Le Pen will be in the second round, and that means against one other candidate, and whoever that candidate is will probably become the next president. But if you have a situation where she dictates the outcome because she is the only fixture that is fairly certain in the second round runoff, then you see how forceful she is as a, as a political uh, figure in France. And that in, in itself is a position of some power. It may not be legislative power, but it is political power. Can I ask you a personal question about how you respond to this woman and the power that she represents? Yeah, I think the problem that one sees is that she has dragged the whole political debate in her direction and she scares the political class both on the left and the right in France. If you take an example, I mean, migration policy would be one of those. It's been very striking that in Germany, Angela Merkel has opened the door and then found herself in some political difficulty as a result, but nonetheless, that was her policy. France has been almost closed door on on migration um, in terms of taking in refugees from Syria and has promised 30,000 refugees, which is an absolute drop in the ocean compared with what Germany has taken in. And I think that that is a good example of how it's it's the force of Marine Le Pen dictating the debate that means that the other parties are actually frightened of taking a line that counters hers. And you've got a socialist president in power, François Hollande, who um, one might have imagined would have more of a sort of open-door approach to uh, refugees, who in fact has been saying quite clearly that enough is enough and France has no intention of taking any more. So I think that this is where you see the, 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 the power that Marine Le Pen has to dictate the debate, even without any legislative power herself. You describe her, though, as the scariest political leader in Europe. In who, who's, who is scared of her? Who should be scared of her? Well, it depends what your views are about, you know, what what, uh, the response to Syrian refugees should be. Um, I think that she is someone, like I said, who has taken the debate in a a direction that a liberal paper like The Economist finds very difficult to accept and would contest and argue against. And it's not just a question of refugees, it's also a question of uh, her views about Europe, her desire to take France out of the euro for one thing and renegotiate a a bit along British lines, the French relationship relationship with Europe. So it's more than just an anti-immigration platform. It's it's a whole package of the direction in which France should be taken, which I think neither, you know, assures, assures its security nor its um, economic outlook. Thanks very much, Sophie Pedder. If you want to read Sophie's piece on Marine Le Pen, you'll find it in the April-May issue of 1843 magazine in print on our app or online at 1843magazine.com. On the next podcast in the series, join me for lunch with the reluctant global citizen. 